You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Listeners near and far, you are tuned into the 3CR Gardening Show. We are live this Sunday morning in the studio. My name is Chloe Foster. Very good morning to you all. And with me, I have Craig Wilson of Gentiana Nursery in Alinda and Meryl Johnson of Country Farm Perennials down in Neerham. Good morning, everyone. Hi, Chloe. Good morning, everyone, on this lovely morning. Isn't it beautiful? It's still, there's no wind. It's very autumnal. Did you have a lot of wind yesterday, Craig? No. Oh, okay. Parts of Gippsland had quite severe winds, so very drying, but beautiful still morning this morning. Yeah, we're very sheltered where I am. Oh, lucky you. Yeah, yeah, very lucky. It makes such a difference. Huge difference, yeah. Meryl, we were just talking about it being so dry before we went on air just before. So you, you're dry down in Neerham as well, which is in South Gippsland. Is that what you classify it as? Um, we're West Gippsland, really. So we're, okay. we're further north, up in the foothills of uh, Mount Borbor, of the Borbor Plateau. And don't talk to me about dry. <laughs> <laughs> we were only saying yesterday, we think that we're as dry now as we were in the millennial drought and the year that Ash Wednesday happened in the early 1980s. It's been a different summer in that it hasn't been as hot, it hasn't been as windy, we haven't had such prolonged dry uh, hot periods, we've just had a very prolonged dry, we've had very little rain since the beginning of December. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, three months. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty humid. Yeah, it was pretty humid over Christmas and New Year, but we just haven't had that much rain. Are you not since November, really? Yeah, yes. no decent yeah. rain. So same with you up in Olinda. Yeah, same. Yes, it's supposed it's to be a La Nina year, but we've been getting the humidity, but we haven't been getting the rains to go it's with it. It's all happening up north. Yeah, <laughs> they're yes. getting it up yeah. north at the moment. Yeah, and it's very annoying because we see beautiful black clouds 
with all the humidity sort of forming up, and then they seem to split and go round our plateau. Mm. So it's either south or north, but we're not getting it. Anyway, it's uh, it's a different gardening year, but that's what gardeners do. They roll with the punches. So what are the punches you've been rolling with? <laughs> the dry. <laughs> And getting up early and doing strategic watering. Yeah. Um, we, we don't like to waste water. We like to make the very most of it. So um, getting up early, doing strategic watering, um, sort of putting, putting plants, individual plants or individual areas of the garden on a sort of regime. I'm sure you do the same, Craig, and particularly where you've got big trees, you've got to do this. So... Mm. Some things might need water twice a week, some once a week, and, and some every second week. Mostly sure I do it with a watering can. That is hard work. <laughs> yeah, but well, well, it's just really things that are just establishing. Yes, if you've got a lot of new planting. Mm. We haven't planted at all so far this year, So yeah. other than veggies, of course, which are the exception. I'd do anything for my veggies. <laughs> yes. I came to the realisation a couple of years ago that I was about to turn 60 and if I didn't get my garden right now, it was never going to be right. <laughs> so I pulled a lot of things out and replanted. A, a good idea. And what fun anyway. That's right. A good excuse to have a bit of fun yeah. and put in some more plants. But of course they all need a bit of water now. Yes, yes, especially if you're, you're planting young things that are going to make deep root systems, you need to get those roots down That's with right. deep watering. But you yes. know what, Meryl, I make a, what I call a donut around each of them, so a, a, like a mound of soil around mm. the plant, and then you can just tip the, a bucket of water into it. It's going to get everything. And it's very quick. Yeah, I've been planting yes. that way yeah. for, a num for a few years now, and yeah. you, you confidently know that the water is going to get to that root ball. Every single drop. Especially with brand new plants. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And yeah. especially if the ground's getting a bit hard, our ground is tremendously hard because of the nature of our soil. When it dries out, it goes like concrete, and we've got massive cracks opening up everywhere so you know it's really really dry mm. but at least the cracks mean you can get the water down <laughs> <laughs> yes. but you know what 20 years of putting wood chip on the garden makes a huge difference yeah. yes yes yeah yeah well we're, we're at the moment doing exactly that craig we're to help protect the surface and you know preserve every drop of water that we're putting on um, David's very manful. He's out there shoveling wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow of, first of all, mushroom compost mm. and adding some organic life, you know, some organic pelletized fertilizer to it mm. and then putting uh, well-decomposed wood chips over the top. Yeah. So it's a lovely thick mulch, but it's all going to keep adding, as mm. you say, to the compost and organic matter in in the soil. So... Likewise, lots of years of, of mulching, and we use various, various mulches at, at different years, mm. and so it just does add so much to the soil, don't you think? Oh, it, it makes everything better. Yes. It, it yes. keeps the soil moist. It makes watering easier because it's more friable. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it insulates the soil as well. That's it stops right. it from getting too cold in winter and yeah. too hot in yeah. summer. And, and look, I'll, I'll put it on fresh from the arborist, green. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
a lot of people don't don't like doing that because I think there's that nitrogen drawback. It's nonsense. Yeah, I think it is too. I've put on a lot of green mulch that I've gotten from an arborist. Yeah. Haven't had any issues with the no. growth in the plants. And I've planted a week or two later, planted new plants mm-hmm. into that into the soil of, yeah. that that mulch is sitting on. And it does nothing but issue. good. Yeah, I don't know where that came from. I have no idea, but it's right. complete nonsense. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. I've never seen any ill effects. I have had... Someone told me one time if you were concerned about it to sprinkle a really a light layer of gypsum before you spread the mulch out, mm-hmm. and that must help um, either minimise the nitrogen being drawn up or just help to sort of balance it out a mm. little bit. So I I did that with one section where I where I poured or spread fresh mulch, mm. and obviously and no issues. But I didn't do it in another larger section mm. of of my front garden and didn't have haven't had any issues. And it was cypress. Yeah. Um, fresh cypress chips. Yeah. I mean, I've literally put it on green and steaming. Yeah, okay. Straight off the back of the truck. Yeah. Yeah, no issues. Maybe if you do it in thinner layers and, you know, do it over a period rather than all a big thick dump all at once, that, that may, you know, very much help, might hold the secret. Mm. Mm. I don't believe in thin layers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've been doing a no. lot of mulching with students yeah. at, at um, in classes this week. Okay. So we've the the grounds of the Melbourne Poly on, on most campuses at Melbourne Poly, but I'm at I'm at the Fairfield campus with lockdowns mm. the last two years and then summer holidays um, and changeovers in gardening contractors. The weeds have gone ballistic in most of our garden beds, mm. so I've been doing some serious you know backyard blitzes. And we've laid the mulch on really heavily mm. to help because it's a weed. It's, it helps suppress weeds as well. That's another job that yes. it does. Hundred percent, it does. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you know what I do if I'm breaking in a new area now? I just gather up cardboard boxes and lay cardboard down over the, and then put the wood chip on top of the cardboard. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic for new areas. It, and it just saves yeah. any sort of chemical use or. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. dig, a lot of digging or whatever. Even yeah. even in breaking up, yeah, clay soils. Yeah, just laying yeah. mulch on top will help to break it up. Oh, there's a no bit doubt more naturally. about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. particularly you have to understand the time periods. That mm. It doesn't happen in twelve months. Yeah, true. It it, it takes time. Yeah, yeah. But it saves you a back breaking job. Yeah, and you just have to keep applying it every yeah. year. Yep. Yeah. It it all it. Uh, compacts down quite significantly mm-hmm. the fresh stuff. Yeah, like you might put oh, on yes, you, you might put on and, a, the, and the worms and things come up and eat it mm, really quickly. Mm. Mm. You you might put on a layer that looks like it's you know ten to fifteen centimeters or something, but a couple of months later it's down to five centimeters. Mm. Yes, and yeah. I think doing it regularly is the trick. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Wood chip on top of wood chip. Yeah, so that it just works its way down. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm amazed at how quickly things break down. If, you've, mm. if yeah. you've got healthy soil with plenty of microbes and worms and, you know, everything happening, and I think a variety of mulches um, helps to encourage mm. that too. It's it's like all of us. We like a varied diet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, healthy. in autumn time, the leaves go straight on the garden beds and then they get held down with another layer of chip. That's a great idea because you don't want them 
blowing around when you've gone to all the work of raking them up. Or... <laughs> it's a huge undertaking. <laughs> Excuse me. Huge undertaking. Yes, exactly. Raking, raking. It's yeah. excellent exercise, though. Great yeah. for the waistline. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a big, um, a big day in the garden yesterday afternoon. I had a, we had a fence on one side of the yard um, replaced just before Christmas. And talk about backbreaking work. There was an area that was left bare just behind a, a shed in the water tank. And I thought, I didn't have time before Christmas to put any mulch back there or anything. And I came home from holidays and you should see the weeds in this spot that were <laughs> nightshaded, grassy weeds. That That's the cypress, uh, the weedy, nutgrass oh, yeah, as well, yeah. which is it's really hard to pull out. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to pull out. And I have just, I've been in denial for the last month or so, so I've just left it. <laughs> Cardboard. <laughs> I yeah. was about to say, so, Craig's cardboard. Didn't We've have got cardboard. Yesterday, We've got cardboard boxes. I'm happy to donate. Oh, thank you. I'll keep that in mind. Well, yesterday I thought I need, I need to get rid of this. It is overwhelming. The overwhelming of the weeds was more overwhelming than the task in front of me. Yeah. Cleared it all out, and I had some sugarcane mulch. Put down a, a layer of newspaper and sugarcane yes. mulch on top of that, so I should be able to keep it maintained. Yeah. From now on, yes. I didn't have any cardboard. Yeah. It, it, how, what how, many, Sorry, how many layers of, of newspaper sheets did you put? Probably about three sheets thick. I, again, I didn't have a lot of newspaper either, but I thought it's better than nothing. Mm. It's better than nothing. So just do it again, yeah. Chloe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And this time, find some boxes. Yeah. 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 And just put them on top. Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Because especially with the nut grass, because it'll take a little while. Yeah. Because of those tubers. So they got little persistent tubers. Persistent little figure. They yeah. are persistent. Yeah. Um, they've got. I'm pulling them out. They've got really red-coloured roots. Okay. Yeah. They so they generally, in my, my experience, have little tubers. Okay. Maybe I'm. Maybe I got my weed ID wrong. And that um, the tubers take a while. Yeah. 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 They're to pretty starve hard. out. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, I, got hard, I was almost finished with this weeding and I thought, what am I going to put here? So it was 3.30 yesterday, I jumped in the car, I ran up to my local nursery and bought some plants and just came home and threw them in. So I've got a new garden bed. I bought the, I bought, well, I didn't bring the plants in, I bought the labels in today. We'll talk mm. about some later. And you've got a few plants there too. Oh yeah, that's endless. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I did some back-breaking gardening work yesterday and it felt very good. <laughs> it does feel good. Mm. <laughs> yep. All right. We will open the phone lines to our listeners. So you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I am Chloe Foster and I have Craig Wilson of Gentiana Nursery in with me and Meryl Johnson from Country Farm Perennials. And Meryl, forgive me, the seed company that you run as well it's called Seedscape. Seedscape, thank you very much. So Meryl has a few hats. Um, two very knowledgeable people in with me today. Uh, so if you want to call in and speak to us on air, the number is 94190155. The other phone line is 94198377. If you've got a mobile phone, pop those numbers in your phone and save it. Just, just getting back to the watering, if, if you do want to put a system in for watering, 
then my experience is that the brown hose with, with holes in it, so you're dripping mm. under the mulch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yes, under the mulch, definitely. Yeah, and, yes. and as you mulch more, it works its way down deeper. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. And you it don't becomes waste, a system. You mm. don't waste the drop. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the drip systems are very... Very, very good. Very efficient. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so simple to, mm. to, to set up. Mm. Yeah. If, if I can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> <laughs> And there'd be videos on YouTube of how to set up an irrigation, a simple irrigation system yeah, now too. Yeah, yeah. But can... any sort of sprinkling system to me is just a complete waste of water. Mm, mm. It, it is very inefficient, isn't it? Very Absolutely. wasteful, really. Yeah. We, we've actually got a triple sand filter septic system because we don't have any, you know, town plumbing or anything mm. here. So all our wastewater, absolutely every bit of wastewater goes through this triple sand filter system mm. and then then we've got the purple recycled water pipes that run around the parts of the garden where the big trees mm. um, make the most competition for other plants mm. and uh, so it's probably been in for a good 10 years and that pipe system is still working beautifully Mm. And we've, we've got it sort of set up in sections. And so people might consider this with your drip pipe system as well. So we've got, you know, little tap valves um, along different sections and offshoots. It's sort of like the plan of a, a tree with the trunk and the branches going off, but little taps. So we can turn on one branch and then turn it off and turn on another branch and turn it off. And that works really well because... Then you get a mixture of the recycle in one particular area, one branch of the system. You'll get a mix of the recycled water and then the fresh water. So you haven't got any uh, untoward build-up mm. in a particular area. Although, of course, we do not put it on the vegetables just in case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have what we call an effluent field. Yes. So there's, there's green stripes through the lawn. Mm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it runs under my hydrangeas and they're all pink. Ah. ah so, so you've got alkaline wastewater. Alkaline, alkaline wastewater. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys, we've got a couple of phone calls coming through, so I'll pop them on. We must say good morning to Paul in Drysdale. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, I'm okay. Uh, what is your garden conundrum? It's 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 more of a community thing. Um, I'm getting feedback on the phone. Sorry. Uh, oh, okay. It's more of a community thing. There's a tree located in the centre of Drysdale, which for the last two and a half months has been suffering, and it's my cause at the moment because I'm I'm trying to get some response from the local council. It's a street tree. It's in a nature strip. Um, it's an old tree. When they first set out Murray Dock Road here, um, they set it out around this tree. Um, and what's happened, unfortunately, is two and a half months ago, there's been a lot of concrete poured around its tree roots by the commercial property that abuts the tree. And um, I believe the tree will die. And I'm just hoping to have a talk to somebody who's interested. All your information, I've already spoken to Greg Moore who believe that the concrete around the trees will be fine. So over to you. 
So there's nowhere for the tree to, there's nowhere for you to get mulch onto the tree or water into it at all. If you go to Google Street View, it's 10 Murradock Road in Drysdale. Um, basically, the tree has stood there for well over 100 years. It's got a nine-foot trunk. It's got multiple burls, and it's got buttressing of its roots. It's an old tree. Yeah. And it's always, obviously, had the tree roots going under the road. But where it's got its sustenance from is the, the, the apron or the verge of the property that it's on. And what they've gone ahead and done is entirely concrete that whole area so there's nowhere for the roots to get air mm. or water. And this tree will die. And I think you understand from how I'm talking how frustrated I am that nothing is being done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to bring this up to you guys. Um, it's just that you're my last port of call and I've tried all other avenues. I don't know the answer to that, and, and unless you can find some way of getting the water into the roots. Yeah. You well, I thought it's a very large commercial operation from Melbourne, Sheen Panel Services, and I would have thought they would have had some way of, of having a hard surface, a commercial hard surface, such as porous paving or something. They didn't have to go down the route of completely covering the area with concrete. And when I mean completely, I do mean completely. This is a, a house-sized slab that's 20 metres by 10 metres, which is directly over the tree roots and butts up hard against the footpath. There Good is insane. no place for that's the tree to get sustenance. surprising the that they were allowed to do that. Mm. Well, um, it, it's more um, surprising that the city of Greater Geelong refused absolutely refuse to do anything about it when surely they must know that that tree what will happen i believe is because of the size of the tree um even though the city of greater geelong cut it in half in other words it was about um 30 meters tall and now it's 15 meters tall they they hacked at it about uh, four or five years ago that what will happen is because those tree roots are all dying mm. that tree will fall yeah mm. yeah so and i i i, I just I'm gobsmacked that it's been allowed to happen. Um, is it... So, yeah, the concrete is on one side of the root mass, is there, or is it completely surrounding the tree? Well, you've got the road already. It's at the brow of a, of a, of a slight incline, so there's no spring water, I would have thought, getting through to the tree. Mm. Um, they've, they've cut in two big crossovers either side of the, of the nature strip, which is more bizarre, um, and it just seems like all the men involved did not care about this tree. And unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be a means by which they can be made to care. No. Um, I would like to cut up the concrete. I would like to at least cut strips into it. Mm. To, yeah. Uh, without the air to get it. Yeah. Um, but you need to understand that this is all two and a half months ago. And the city of Greater Geelong have done nothing. Yeah, well, the, the channel to, to go through it to get them to put in some sort of air vents or, you know, go in there with a, a circular saw that cuts concrete or a, a giant drill or something is to go through the council to get them to do that. I've um, sent you pictures and hopefully after I'm gone you'll have a look at those pictures and you might be able to broadcast to the people just how bizarre this event is. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Yeah, of course there's trees out there that are sitting in a nature strip, you know, with stuff all around them. But they're not 150 years old, and the concrete wasn't laid yesterday. Mm. 
it's really an effort to kill a tree, and I don't mm. know why they did it. I just don't know why. Yeah, it's it's a like, that's a really bizarre story, Paul. Um, my only suggestion would be is to be really persistent with the council to try to get you go. All right, well, the concrete's been put down now. What's the next? What's the next thing that you can try? And that is to be persistent with them to try to get some sort of air vents drilled or cut into the concrete there. And getting some sort of aggie pipe so that you can get water into the roots. Yeah, or some sort of irrigation or Mm. something. A drip line or something. So far, this tree has one friend, Peter Russell Clark, because he's an old resident of Drysdale. Yeah. Um, But other than that, I am absolutely struggling. But it was nice to talk to you, Scott. Yeah, sorry, we're not much help. Yeah, sorry, Paul. But, yeah, look, just... Yeah, drip feed and annoy and nag the council if um, <laughs> if you feel if you have the energy to do it. And we wish you all the best. Have a look at the photo. And yeah, we'll, we'll check the all emails right. this week. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Bye. catch you later, Paul. What a weird thing to happen yeah. to have done. Uh, we do have another Meryl. You, um, Meryl's zooming in with us this morning, so she can't hear all of the conversations that are going on with our, with our callers. So it was an endangered tree that's been concreted all the way around it, Meryl. In, who did that? Who did that? I know. Um, yeah, it's the Greater Geelong Council. Yeah, and, mm. a, and a panel beater or something as mm. well. Uh, hopefully uh, Paul and a few people in that area... Uh, have a bit of luck and, and might be able to do something about it. Wish them all the best. Uh, and keep us updated, Paul, if you have any success. Uh, we have another caller, uh, Jill in East Brighton. I have a question about a pruning a port wine magnolia. Is that right, Jill? Yes, that's right. Yes, and welcome, welcome back, panel. Thank you. Um, okay. we, we do miss you over the Christmas break, and it's <laughs> fabulous what you do. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, yes, I... Uh, First of all, I'd just like to say I so sympathise with the chap about the tree. That is just such absolute, you know, dreadful mm. idiocy. Yeah. Um, and I was, it, I didn't catch whether it was on private property or not. It's on council land, is it, or not? Uh, he said yes. To, it's on council land. Well, I would get, I'd be collecting signatures and putting it to council, you know, getting the concerned citizens. I mean, it's a lot of work for him, but um, I think uh, most people would be, you know, most people hate to lose their their neighbourhood trees mm. and uh, and just say, you know, this is just a matter of urgency. The tree, you know, has, you know, if it's not re- released soon, will very soon will die. And um, uh, I, I just collect signatures, and you know, I don't know if there's a a local park handy mm. where he could just stand and say, you know, will you sign my petition? But you know, anyone passing by um, or um, any, any local things where he could you know get a lot of signatures quickly and put it to council that way uh and and also i'd be ringing the local paper and make an issue of it in the in the paper mm. you know councils do react to public embarrassment and public concern yes yeah anyway yeah. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> quite apart from my port wide magnolias i planted them along um uh, um a fence line because to sort of hide the fence uh, years ago. And they're great because they're possum-proof, which is and you know, evergreen, so mm. that they give that, that year ago. But they've grown all too well, and they're coming right out over garden beds and things. And I wondered if I can... Can I prune back into wood, or would I have to have some leaves, um, no. you know... 
Uh, what, no to which? So you can prune them into wood. Oh, you can. You no can no problem really at all. Yeah. Right, right. Terrific, terrific. Because, yes, I, I, they've done great value and I don't want to kill them. Um, but they are sort of now at the stage where uh, I'm losing quite a bit of garden to them. <laughs> mm. I, I wouldn't do yeah. that now when it's so dry. I'd wait until, no. um, until we get a bit of uh, rain. Maybe yeah. early to mid-autumn if we get some rain. Yeah. Um, Meryl, yeah. pruning uh, Port Wine Magnolias, what time of year would you recommend doing that? Um, normally you would prune them straight after flowering is best, mm. but they're not very unhappy about being pruned. Um, if it is, if it has to be done at a not ideal time of year, then do it lightly and or don't do all of the, the shrub, the tree at once. Mm. Um, do it lightly all over or do one section at a time. But if you can get at it straight after flowering, they, they take the pruning very well. Yeah, indeed. too easily. Then, mm. Yes, they're not fussy. As long as you can give it a bit of TLC after the pruning, you should be fine. Yeah, I've, I've cut them really hard yeah. in the past, you know, from, yeah. from substantial shrubs down mm. to a couple of metres. Yes. Yeah. Well, and as long as you give them some TLC after that, mm. um, they they come away beautifully. But I, I took Chloe's comment not to do it right now while it's so dry, if you can avoid it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yes, look, it's not urgent. I can wait and because and, uh, I think it is going to have to be a fairly hard prune. Mm. Uh, so I think I'll take Meryl's uh, suggestion of waiting till they flower, which means waiting a while again, because, of course, I've just missed that. And, of course, it is very, very dry, so it's not a good time to do it. We're on the sand belt here, so uh, super dry, mm. you know. Um, yes, I was listening to your comments about um, drip watering versus spray watering before, and I thought, you well, obviously don't have sandy soil. <laughs> drip watering is no good here. <laughs> okay. Uh, does it just, run it just right disappears, through? does it? It, it, just, it just drops straight down through the soil. It doesn't do any area around the drip. It mm. just goes straight down. Mm. Uh, I mean, don't, I mostly hand water anyway, but um, if I did install something, I'd have to be a spray. And I I wish they didn't have those micro sprays that, you know, make it so fine so that it blows everywhere. It would be much better if it had a sort of more of a sprinkle spray. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but um, anyway, that's that's beside, beside the point, really, well, I guess. Those little disc sprinklers, you know, that throw their water into a circle... Yes, yes, they're quite good. They're yep. quite good, and you can get big drops on them by not putting them on too hard. Yes, yes, that's true. Although when you're wanting to just do a, a bed that's in a sort of line, mm. you know, they're, they're, uh, the circle's not much good. Mm. Yep, but um, yes, uh, anyway, uh, I, at some point as I am getting older, and I do, I'm, I'm not one of those people who finds watering soothing. I get very impatient standing there with us. <laughs> yes. <I'm> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> much too much of a type A person, I think. Yeah. Um, so I think I think I will install some, but unfortunately, uh, well, I'll look around and see if I can find something that doesn't mist so finely. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, look, right. thanks very much for the advice on the on magnolias. I'll I'll hold my hand for until uh, until next next flowering. Yeah. Thanks, Jill. All the best. Okay. You can't go Again. wrong. <laughs> thanks and thanks for all your great work. Uh, we've had a couple of text messages come in. Uh, someone sent uh, someone sent an image 
to our text message line. Now we can't see those images. It comes up on a computer screen, the text messages that come through. So uh, if you want to send pictures to us, you need to send them to our email address. Our email address is gardening at 3cr.org.au. Uh, we did have a couple of uh, emails come in over the last week or so from our listeners. Uh, one of the first one that we've got is a question from Chris and Cheryl Kroll. I hope you're listening or I hope you catch up on the podcast. Uh, you've, they sent in a photo and they're asking for a plant ID. Um, a very broad leaf, well, weed, a plant that's popped up in a spot that they don't, that they don't want. Uh, us three in the studio here, our guests, we had two suspicions. Um, one of them is that it could be a Paulonia tomentosa. Mm. Yeah. I can't remember the common name of those. The bean tree it's often called bean because tree. of the wonderful seed pods that look just like enormous broad yeah. beans. And they've got really big inflorescences with big flowers on each of those that are um, yes. white with a little bit of purple in the throat. So, Chris and Cheryl, maybe have a look around your neighbourhood to see if there's any of those trees that look like, that have similar leaves to the photo that you sent us. And if there's, oh, in springtime, uh, if there's flowers uh, as well. So do they, they, do they take a while to flower? I don't, I have yeah. no experience with them. Yeah. If you grow them from seed, yes, they would take a while to flower because yeah. they are very big trees, you mm. know, when they reach their prime. And Make very fast. Thing. Yeah. Yes, mm. and fast, yes. Yeah. So if this thing's popped up yeah. from a seed and growing fast, well, that's very much a possibility. Mm. Yeah, they said it's it's popped up in the last two or three years. Mm. I yes. think you're right, Meryl. I think it's Paulonia. Yes, yeah. I think so. Mm. Um pretty cool leaf but they're a bit of a yeah they grow quickly and they're um they've got brittle woods so they can drop branches mm. and they're not good around yes they get torn apart if you're in a very windy position yeah, yeah. so give up now really yeah, I, yeah. They're, they're beautiful for, have a for, shapely one. for the flowering season they're beautiful but the rest of the year they're pretty ordinary mm. yes and yeah. busted apart by any high winds so yeah. you know often they they look very maimed specimens unless mm. they're in a shell gully mm. yeah Okay, Chris and Cheryl, good luck, but remove the plant that you sent us a photo of as soon as you can. Uh, we had a text message come in sometime in the last 24 hours. listener called Arthur is asking about pruning of his oak-leafed hydrangeas in pots. Uh, it was directed at Craig, but Meryl, Craig, go for it. Pruning oak-leafed hydrangeas. I just love them, Craig. Oh, me too. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're the best hydrangeas ever That's I think right. and, and we have them <clears throat> in our garden in various sizes the mm. the sort of old original one is very big mm. and I have to say ours is looking magnificent at the moment which is saying something considering this is such a dry period they are much more dry hardy than you yeah. know the the normal mop top hydrangeas that people usually associate with the mm. word hydrangea so more dry hardy Mm. Um, but we've also got little miniature specimens um, uh, peewee and and psych dwarf uh, two very much smaller growing ones which have the same beautiful conical flower heads but a much smaller shrub which may be more suitable for um, smaller gardens 
But whatever you do, try and grow one, whether it's in the garden mm. or in a pot. And you prune um, them in the winter, Meryl? Um, we do, yeah, yes. Because they flower because on new wood, don't they? They do flower on, on new wood yeah. and you really want to keep the flowers, in my opinion, you want to keep the flowers well into winter because mm. um, although they, they blossom white, um, there are different cultivars, of course, but on the whole they blossom white, maybe opening green and then going white as the flower matures. Mm. But as the cold nights come in, Ours do the most magnificent show of pinks and crimsons mm. and purples in the flowers as well as the, the great colour change in the leaves. So I like to keep them as a, a great feature for autumn and well into the early winter. And then when they're completely deciduous, then you can you can start pruning. Mm. Um, so when do they when do they go deciduous? When do they drop their leaves? Uh, they colour up really well during the autumn mm. and often the leaves will often go really beautiful burgundy and red shades. The more sun the plant has, the redder the autumn foliage mm. will be, the more vividly coloured. Mm. And, and the more colour you'll get in the flowers later in the season. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So they're one, one hydrangea that you can give some exposure mm. to. They're, they're not as sun shy as, as people normally think about hydrangeas. So pruning so, them would be mid to late winter. Yes, yeah. yes. Mid yeah. winter is when we do them. Mm. And how hard can you go on them? Uh, you can go really hard. We've actually got um, uh, some standard hydrangea paniculatus, which are, you know, a fairly similar mm. breed of, of hydrangea. And we prune those standards very hard indeed. And mm -hmm. they just produce a mass of flowers. The big shrub ones that we use as background sort of windbreak and, and shrubs, the big tall growing oak leaves that we use as background planting in the garden, we don't prune as hard. We take off maybe a third to two thirds depending on, you know, how it needs shaping up that year. But I don't think they really mind. No, I, I had a, a big stand of the oak leaf hydrangea called Alice, which is an enormous one. Yes. And a big oak branch fell on them and smashed them right back to the ground. Mm. And they shot that back. That was a very hard prune. <laughs> they shot back again without any difficulty. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, but you... have you seen the gold-leafed one, Meryl, Little Honey? Yes, yes, we do grow the gold-leaf one it's and it's beautiful. Beautiful, yeah. I, I love golden leaf plants mm. as a contrast in the garden. Mm -hmm. Lots of people poo-poo me and say they look like they're sick or dying. <laughs> but no, that's not true. <laughs> no, I, I use them a lot too. And I, the, the, the beauty of gold leaf shrubs is that they like a little bit of shade. Exactly. So they and really they light, light up, up the shade. They do. Mm. And if you can get some pale leafed and then black leaf things in there as mm -hmm. well, your shade really starts to sparkle instead of just being a dark green gloomy hole. That's right, which most shade plants are dark green. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I hope that helps, Arthur, if you're listening. And uh, if they're in pots, feed them. Uh, yes, that's the yes. other thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All, all the best. Um, we've had a few. We've got a few questions coming in, so we'll go to. Another caller now, and we must say good morning to Michael in Caulfield. Transplanting olive trees, are you? Well, sort of. My, my wife wants to have a um, 
a tree that blocks out the view into the kitchen for the neighbors up the planting on the um, on the, the fence line and um, we, we we have an olive tree would meet that requirement and we have an olive tree which is about nine feet tall that's been planted maybe six years on the other side of the house and she thought well could we move that one in front of the the window to do the blocking and I thought I don't know I don't know how easily an olive tree transplants and uh, how much we'd have to cut it back and all the rest too easy but Michael that's... you you could just saw it off at the base and plant the stump and it would make roots <laughs> I kid you not yeah so, in Europe they to... transplant ones that yeah. are 500 a thousand years old and transplant them with quite small root balls mm-hmm. top prune of course but what they're after is the architectural beauty of those ancient, twisted, gnarled old trunks. And they transplant these huge old specimens mm. very successfully. They're, the, they're one of the easiest things, I think. The bonsai people go to South Australia and dig them up off the side of the road and, <laughs> and they just saw the trunk through at the thickest point and then use it as a cutting. Yes. Extraordinary. Yeah, so know. so no problem at all, to, Michael. Just do it. How much yeah. do I need to trim the trim the, the top off? Yeah, yeah. I, I would do that. I'd, I'd take off how all. Oh, how tall is it? No, how much would you? It's, it's about nine nine uh, nine feet tall. Probably a third. Mm. Okay. Yeah. All right. But there won't be She'll an be issue. She'll be very happy. Thank mm. you so much. Have fun. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm talking about bonsai. The the the, the Kokofu exhibition in Japan has just finished. What's that? Well, Tell me Kokofu that. is the premier exhibition of bonsai in the world. So the finest Japanese trees. And there, there is no competition. The competition is to get your tree exhibited. Mm. So they, they have this big conveyor belt that goes past the panel and they decide whether the tree's fit to be exhibited in Kokofu or not. Mm. And then one tree is selected for, the, for a prize, the Kokofu prize tree. And if people want to see them, um, Gak Bonsai on YouTube, which is G-A-K, he always puts up really good videos mm. of Kokofu, mm. and they're extraordinary. Olive trees are uh, one of those uh, species that do bonsai quite well. No, the Japanese don't use olives. Oh, don't they use no, olives? No, Southern Europe. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. I have seen, yeah, I've seen images of yeah. olives bonsai. Um, but the, the, the Japanese use, they only use their own natives. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And you have to understand when you're looking at these plants that they are perhaps two to four man lifts. Oh. So they're big plants. Yeah. Yeah, they're not small. But Gak Bonsai, G-A-K, on YouTube, and and you'll see he Mm. does a really good job of filming Kakafu. Yeah. The other thing is that the reason that they hold it at this time, of course, it's the end of winter in Japan, the reason that they hold them is that this is the season when the deciduous trees are considered to be the most beautiful, uh, just as their no buds are sw- just as their buds are swelling. They haven't come into leaf. Yeah. Yes. And yes. then then there'll be things like prunus and canomalies that will be flowering on bare wood. Oh, Looking that would be amazing. Oh, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. That would be oh. very special. I've I well I've been to Japan you know, quite a few times and always gone to see bonsai nurseries, etc. because, or bonsai museums, they have whole museums for these magnificent mm. um, trees and shrubs. And I, I have honestly never seen anything like it. They are breathtakingly 
beautiful. When I was a young gardener, I always thought that it was some form of tree torture. No, but no, I've, no, I've no. changed my mind completely. These are the most pampered and cared for, loved yeah. and venerated creatures on earth. They right. are princes amongst trees, just little princes. <laughs> but I don't think that people understand the scale of them, Meryl. No. Because we, we go to Bunnings and see these silly little twigs in pots mm. yes, yes. which really have no representation of bonsai at all. These things no, are, no, are no. substantial. And, and some of them are literally hundreds, hundreds of years old. You know, you can sort of shake hands with a 500-year-old bonsai tree that's not as tall as you. Yeah. And it's in perfect health mm. and uh, just absolutely thriving and and they are considered national treasures, and so they should be. They are treasures. The interesting thing is that the, 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 the really beautiful trees are all put in antique Chinese pots. Yes. Not, not yes. Japanese pots. Oh. Mm. Do you know why? Uh, they're just prized. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And, and during the Second World War, an enormous number of them were lost. Yes. But a very few were spirited up into the hills. Yes. Yeah. Well, like uh, the Uffizi Museum in Florence sort of took their their paintings, hid them away in, in private wine cellars, mm. and, and these bonsais were also treasured and, and hidden away, and so they should be. Although there were some poor, sad bonsais who were commandeered, souvenired by uh, some of the Allied forces mm. personnel and taken particularly back to America, which is is how bonsai took off in America. But I, I kind of wondered on the success of that as to, you know, whether they were properly cared for because the knowledge just wasn't there. There are a few trees in Melbourne that came back with the occupation troops. Yes. Yeah, not, not a lot, but a few. Yes. Anyway, wonderful thing. Someone suggested yeah. to me once that should I ever think of retiring, I should take up bonsai. But <laughs> I think my bonsai... Days are still well ahead of me. Oh, Thank good. <laughs> no, I, I, not really, Meryl. It's something that you take up when you're in your 20s. You should really. Otherwise, you don't get the full benefit of it. Well, that's right. <laughs> it, it takes 30 to 40 years to grow a good one. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but but ed, everyone who plants the tree is uh, thinking ahead of their own, their own time, which Absolutely. is great. It's, yeah. it's a continuity of gardening, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, and I think that's something that's not thought about so much these days. Oh, I think so. It's, it's very much instant stuff mm-hmm. a lot of the time, which is great. Everybody loves instant stuff and needs to do instant stuff. But it's also nice to think, well, I've planted that tree in a good spot. It should be able to you know, survive for the next few hundred years. And I, I've done something mm. for forever, really. That's right. Mm. One of my favourite gardening quotes of all time, and I, I never, I do not know who said this originally. It's sort of one of those old um, quote thingies. That didn't make sense. It said, "A society grows old when people plant trees whose shade they know they will never sit under." Mm-hmm. And I have it on a little thing on my a little magnet on my fridge, and every time I see it, I just think, I just, I love it. There's also the thing these days that people say, oh, I'm going to plant this tree here and it's probably get too big, but it's not going to be my problem. Mm, yeah. And that drives yeah. me berserk yeah. because tree planting yeah. is about the future. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, if, if somebody has to cut it down in the future, then you're creating a problem for someone else. Mm. 
Yes. And and it's not good thinking in this day and age when we're all trying to do whatever tiny thing we can to help with, you know, the climate stability. Mm-hmm. Um, so planting trees in places where they can live for a long time or any plants at all is really a socially responsible thing to do, perhaps. That's right. Fundamental, I would have thought. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remind listeners that you are tuned in to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Chloe Foster and I have Craig Wilson and Meryl Johnson in the studio with me this morning. We've got a couple of uh, troubleshooting um, uh, queries coming from some listeners. Uh, We had an email from Leah uh, during the week. Uh, she is in Eltham, and she said, I know this summer was a wet one, but where I live in Eltham, it has been incredibly dry. Well, you're not alone there, Leah. Mm-hmm. No, us too. Yeah. Uh, she had a few trees that were damaged in the storms last year and has had those cypress and pine trees removed. So she needs to replace them. Now, it's along the northern fence line of her property, uh, and there's minimal topsoil. They, after about... 10 centimetres they hit the the clay subsoil she would like an evergreen tree for privacy but is concerned that the fat about their place uh, sorry is concerned about the dryness uh, of their soil and and her location I'm leaning towards an olive tree what do you all think Uh, well an olive tree I think is a good choice Craig and I both came up with the idea before of a brachychitin, mm. yeah. um, but I think an olive tree is also a, a good suggestion. The only concern I have with olives is that in in, a, in an area like Altham is the weed potential. I agree. Possibility. And, and they yeah. are, in parts of southern Australia, becoming a serious weed problem. Mm. Particularly as it's hills. drying. Yeah. yeah. Adelaide Hills is just menaced by them. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. so... That's a good consideration to yeah. take into account. Mm. The other thing I was thinking about, you know, Meryl, is some of the, the dwarf eucalypts that are around these days, which are just beautiful, yes. the little mallee gums. Beautiful things. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, and and they're also going to help the bird population and the insect population that's right. enormously. Yeah. Mm. And uh, Eltham, you know, that sort of area is a beautiful area and, and uh, there is often success with being able to integrate human habitation but still managing to maintain the bird and, and insect population in, in some sort of balance. So that's mm-hmm. another great suggestion. And but the, they're really beautiful flowering specimens. That's right. And a friend of mine in their garden has got a dwarf form of eucalyptus, Citriodora. Mm. Yes. Which oh, how lovely. just superb. Delicious. Yeah. Yeah, lovely trunks. <laughs> what you do have to remember with the eucalypt, the dwarf eucalypts, is that they say dwarf, but they're still substantial plants. Yeah, yes, that's right. They they're just not dwarf be... up against the, the the standard. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you might still be, you might still get to ten to fifteen meters, uh, maybe ten meters, ten meters maximum. I would have thought after about maybe ten to twenty years. Yeah, yeah. But there's so many. I mean, I'm not an expert on these things, but I know that there's an enormous array of them available now. Oz, Oz, what are they called? Ostroflora Nursery grow and sell a number of smaller growing eucalypts. Mm. Some of them are, they classify as small, but like you just said, like they will still get large-ish. They're just a dwarf version of the usual yeah, regular not, giant. not 20 metres. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, one coming to mind is um, 
eucalyptus dry white. I can't remember the species of it, but that is one of the a smaller one that's good in dry mm. spots. And there's a one, another one called Summer Sensation, mm. which those ones from Ozflora you'd be able to get from a regular retail nursery. But Karanga has a lot of smaller eucalypts. Mm. Smaller the other thing is that, well. that that tree with the spikes all over its trunk. Oh, Seba? Teresa <laughs> or? Yes, I'm, I, I can see it in my mind, Craig. Yeah, it's really good. If, if you're not I, looking for that sort of Aussie look. Mm, it mm, would, yes. Yeah, and they're well, not big I, trees. I was also um, thinking go to a really good native nursery, you know, make a weekend outing of it mm. and take some advice because there's also a lot of, uh, including these newly bred dwarf versions, um, that will accept being pruned or cut back mm. or coppiced even. Mm. So, and, and something they do in uh, European gardens is use our eucalypts, even the great big growing forms, mm. as smaller shrubs because they coppice them back each year, cut them like, like the mellies, the... the um, the eucalypts and, and members of that family that have the lignotubers where they can, if they're damaged by fire or, or damaged by being chewed off by native animals, they can regenerate. Mm. And often the, these new shoots, these new annual shoots, are really beautiful in their yeah. foliage mm. and you can keep them to a decent size. Okay, it's a bit of a job that you've got to, you know, cut off the shoots, cut them down mm. every year. But that's just considered part of normal gardening and, mm. and well worth a small effort each year to get the beauty of this new foliage. And they'd put on, what, four or five metres in a year? Yes, yeah. But, you know, about human human height to a bit more mm. is all they're looking for each yeah. year and then they just slash them back yeah. and start again the next year. That's a really and good idea. Yep, and they're very beautiful. That new foliage mm. is often the highlight of, of mm. the plant's growth cycle. Which you don't really see when they're big trees. No, that's right. So yeah. they, they use them as decorative specimens. Mm. Well, one, Just one an of, idea. Yeah, one of the smaller eucalyptus varieties that is, was bred or, or is sold as for coppicing purposes is, is the eucalyptus moon lagoon. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's adult foliage is very average, just plain gum leaf foliage, mm. but the juvenile foliage is absolutely stunning. And you, you, know, you don't even need to do it every year, every two to three years, coppicite. So yeah. it's one of those silver and round. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. love them. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like string, strings of 50 cent pieces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Leah, I hope we've helped. She did add that she uses organic matter and mulch to that garden as well. And as we were talking about mulching before, it's a slow process, but Mm. hopefully keep up with the organic matter additions and keep up with the mulching too. And hopefully we've given you some good options. So all the best. Put the mulch on thick. Yes. Yeah, and don't worry about cholera. (laughs) Yeah. That's not something I've ever experienced. I'd only be concerned about cholera with some 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 species, citrus and some corias, yep, and or grevillea probably. Yeah, and choisia get cholera with. So I just just keep the mulch away from the trunk. I'm going to add one more plant to Leah's possibility list, and that is the grevilleas, the moonlight, the misty pink, the pink surprise. Mm. So they're sort of a large shrub grevillea, which again can be pruned back if it gets too high or too Mm. wide or something. So all the best, Leah. All right, guys, another 
gardening troubleshooting question. We've had a text message come in from Joseph uh, about grasses on his driveway. So they've just put a driveway in the front of their house and most of the grass is gone. We've considered replacing it with native grasses but are leaning away from that. They're now looking at a mix of Australian ground covers that will flower at different times. The yard faces north and is exposed to sunshine all day. They're in Greensboro. So what could we suggest? Depends on the size of the space, I guess. Mm. It's a strip down the middle of the drive, is it? They've put a driveway along the front yard, but the grass is gone, so it must be the lawn in the front yard. Okay. Um, there's a number of ground cover grevilleas that would mm-hmm. that have a nice dense canopy. So grevillea obtusifolia, I think its common name is gingin gem, and there's also grevillea perinda royal mantle that that has a you know once it gets going, you know it really covers mm. has a really dense canopy as well. There's um, the myoporums that would work and uh, scavolas would be wonderful. Yeah. They can sit really flat given the right variety and make a very dense cover, beautiful flowers. Mm. You know and what else wood. I really love, Meryl, is um, Catoniaster damari. Yes, yes. Which is completely, it's a big shrub but completely prostrate. Ah. So How, it'll cover it a big height? area. It would get up to, what, 15, 20 centimetres? Max. Maximum, yes. yeah. And so then you have white flowers in spring, red berries in autumn, and leaf colour in winter. But it's it's not the weedy species. No, there's only a couple of weed species in Catania. Yeah. It's one of those genuses that's had a bad reputation as a result of a couple of yeah. weeds. Yes. O- I, like Oxalis. And, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and the problem with the, the naughty ones is the birds eat the seeds. And that's then right. And fly away and, you know, deposit them with their own... Uh, palletised manure. But I don't Um, think you'd have any issue with damari. I'm I'm not aware that it's a weedy species, no, No. or or a a seeding species. But it depends to how much traffic it's going to get. Mm. Um, That's that's another thing to consider, whether you're actually driving over the plants, although that is sort of... The the wheel marks would be self-limiting. You know, the plants wouldn't grow where they get driven over every day. Well, Bracky's comb. Bracky's comb, that's another beautiful one. Mm-hmm. And the myporum that you mentioned before, Meryl, is good because you still get that green, which a mm. lot of people still want an area that's got lush green. Mm. Yeah, they want the yeah. lush, uh, but they don't want the lawn. Um, and you could intersperse that with some indigenous grasses to the Greensboro area as well mm-hmm. and provide a bit of habitat for little insects. Yes. Uh, that are, uh, that actually, a mix would be lovely because mm. I love the texture of tufty grasses in with those yeah. softer foliage ground cover plants. It's a great look. So yeah. I'd be into planting. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I'm always a fan of mixed plantings. Mm. It, it's healthier for everything. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I'm so over monoplanting. Yeah, and if something goes wrong with a monoplanting, if one of them dies, it looks like rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, All right. Well, I hope that has helped, Joseph. Um, All the best. We will move on to some community announcements in a moment, but we've had one other question come in. Um, Listener Doug has had has a sidrella tree that is defoliating and dying back. Um, 
thinking it might be a pH issue from a nearby concrete which has nearly been laid. What do you guys think? They don't like to be dry. They don't like to be dry, no. No, they're and not. I, I thought of that straight away, Craig, yeah. you know, whilst the question was being mm. asked that uh, it's a terribly been a terribly dry three months mm. for a plant like that. So, yes, the concrete may be having a, a, a problem, especially if they've, you know, left some bricky sand and that sort of thing around or it could be just leaching lime can be leaching out of the concrete and they do like uh, a more acid situation so yes the concrete could be a problem but it could also just be a water problem mm. um, but you know Meryl I mean I have when the cedrella are pink I have people coming into the nursery all the time looking for them because they're all through the hills and I yes. always try to steer them away from them because of the suckering Mm. Yes. They're, they're really, they're like bamboo, like a running yes. bamboo. They just yes. come up everywhere. They're, they're great in an area that's confined where mm -hmm. they can't get out of. Or, or know, in a really big garden. Yes, where they're allowed to have their head, but not yeah. many of us are that, that fortunate. Yeah. Um, they, they probably do well in a big tub. Yeah, they probably would. Uh, mm. And then you would move it because it is the spring that's the whole thing when they're that shrimp pink there's nothing else on earth like them that's right only lasts for a, a few weeks and then they start to you know go to a, actually a quite peculiar color a sort of mix between lime green and yeah. pink which is a bit odd <laughs> and then they just go green and they're just a, a you know fairly ordinary upright thing mm. but for that few weeks of the shrimp pink they are sensational. Yeah, I, I enjoy them in other people's gardens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I must remind people you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Chloe Foster and I have Craig Wilson and Meryl Johnson in the studio with me this morning. If you have a question, feel free to call us and come on air and have a chat. The number is 94190155. Our text message number is uh, 0488809855. For those podcasters or people that want to send photos through to us to help some troubleshooting or getting ID on some plants... Our email address is the best way to do that. So that is gardening at 3cr.org.au. We do also have a Facebook and Instagram page for the 3CR Gardening Show too. They are both the, the Instagram and the Facebook uh, names or the accounts for those are 3CR Gardening Show. So you can search for that if you do want to send us a question through that way and Liz will make sure that it gets through to us uh, somehow. Um couple of community announcements. There's not a lot going on this week, but there is, we've got the coming up in March is the, the good old Ballarat Begonia Festival. Have you been up there before, Craig? No. I haven't either. And I should since I grow so many begonias. <laughs> I have. Yes, it's great fun. It's all tuberous begonias, isn't it? Yes, it yeah. is. Mm. Uh, on the whole, there's there are some others, but basically, yes, it's, it's a huge show. It's a massive show. This is so. This year, thank you for helping me while I found the email just then. Um, 
the it's their seventieth year this okay. year. The show runs from the eleventh to the twentieth of March. It's at the Ballarat Botanical Gardens, which has been held there for a very long time. But there's lots of installations uh, throughout Ballarat City as well, and there's a heap of gardening workshops, tours, and some plant sa- plant sales on that weekend as well. So Friday the eleventh to Sunday the twentieth of March, it's free. Um, and yeah, take a day trip. And this is one of those sort of support regional things. Ballarat mm. is, if you're in yeah. Melbourne, Ballarat's a day trip, but you could make a weekend out of it. And there's heaps to see in Ballarat as well. The, the art gallery is fabulous mm-hmm. in the gardens. There's um, the sort of walk of the prime minister's statues, etc. It's, it's, it's really, there's lots to see and do. And it's so lovely around the lake there. Mm. Ballarat is yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful city. Beautiful city, that's right. Yeah. But everyone knows that. <laughs> <laughs> I've right. got a whole stack of begonia that I bought in here today, actually, that I think would be good garden plants. Tell us about them, Craig. Begonia richmondensis. Oh. Can you see that, Meryl? Yes, I can, and it's, it's very handsome, glossy foliage. Very glossy foliage. Deep, deep. The the buds are almost red, and then they open up to a sort of a soft pink and white. How big does that one get? I would say that it probably gets up to about one point five meters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost never stops flowering, even for me and Alinda. Mm. Yeah, oh, I so haven't put it in winter. the garden because because I live in Alinda, but I think in Melbourne it would be really good. Yes. Yeah. There's so many of them. Mm. Um, what else have you got? There's another one here called Begonia angularis. Oh, look at that foliage. Which is, is <laughs> the green leaf with silver veining yeah. and white flowers. It would have the capacity to get up to two and a half metres if you let it probably, maybe yeah. more. So wow. cultivation requirements for those two species, what do they need? Oh, they're so tough. Yeah. I mean, I barely water them in pots. Um, so dry shade. Dry shade. So they would need a bit of protection in winter if you get frost? If you got frost, it was an issue. Yeah. But in Melbourne yeah. gardens where there's no longer any frost, I don't think, yeah. <laughs> they'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Angularis is a good one. And it has white flowers that are really nondescript. Mm. It, it's more about the foliage, which is fantastic. Yeah, that is quite spectacular yeah. foliage. Um, this is uh, acetosum. Begonia acetosum. Acetosum, variety acetosum. Oh, that's kind of <laughs> love it when complex. they do that. <laughs> and it's, it's one of those plants, if you give it a little bit of sun, you can't really see it here, but the foliage becomes quite silver. Mm. And no. in the shade, it's green. Yeah, and a yeah. nice red margin on it too. No, red margin, red veining, red stems. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. How, how much sun can they take, Craig? Oh, quite a lot. Okay. You could give them the you could give them the sun until midday or one o'clock. Okay, because people sort of think of them almost as indoor or shade house plants, but they can they're a lot tougher than people think. Mm. There's so many of them that would be good garden plants. I have no doubt. And and then the woman that I get the begonias from lives up above the Anglis Hospital in Ferntree Gully, right up on the ridge, mm. and she has a garden full of different species. Oh, how exciting. So <laughs> interesting. Treasures everywhere. <laughs> so interesting and, and, and something that, that probably most gardeners would never really have thought about as an option for the shade. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We were, I was doing a project with students the other night and 
one group, I broke them up into small groups, and one group copped the dry shade category, mm-hmm. and that it was challenging for them. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the most common gardening questions that I get yes. when I used to work in retail nurseries. Mm-hmm. Is yes. I have a really dark corner in the backyard and mm-hmm. it's shady. It's super dry. Mm. What can I put there? Um, Rachiglotta sunshine. Do you grow that, Meryl? <laughs> yes, yes. It's I, I've got it planted almost up against tree trunks. And it's okay. It's fine. Once you get it established, yep. it's okay. It I'm not familiar with this plant. Intensely silver. Right. Even in the shade. And what and, do the flowers look like? Oh, cut it back when it's about to flower. That's my advice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a yellow daisy. Okay. But beautiful yes. foliage. Yes, Can you say is. that name yes. again, please? Brachyglottis Brachy. sunshine. Brachyglottis sunshine. Yeah. And available so in most brachy, nurseries? So it's a brachyglottis grey eye hybrid. It's a New Zealander. Yeah. Yeah. And in the, yeah, in the daisy family. So pretty resilient. Very resilient. Yeah. Yeah. It needs a prune every now and again or it'll get leggy. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. But Actually, while we're on community announcements, um, the furniture just sprang to mind because we were talking about different plants for difficult situations. Mm. The Fernie Creek Horticultural Society's Plant Collectors Fair is on up mm-hmm. at the Fernie Creek Gardens, Horticultural Society's Gardens, on the 5th and 6th of March. And lots of People really love going to that because it, it's a, a sort of very select lot of exhibitors mm. and you can get a huge, well, Craig often exhibits there, mm. you can, as indeed I do. Um, so you can, you can get lots of unusual things and, and there's time to talk to people and yeah. explain about things and answer questions. And, and there's lots of people who are just there to enjoy the gardening company, the company of other gardeners and share ideas. It's a really friendly, nice um, plant fair, not not too big and busy, but there's great stuff there. You can spend, well, I do. (laughs) I spend, I reckon, more money at other people's stands than I (laughs) find sometimes because there's all sorts of wonderful things that you wouldn't run into anywhere else. And good advice. Good advice, yeah. Time for people to talk and ask questions. Uh, Yeah, that's the Fernie Creek Hort Society next next March. Next weekend. Next weekend. Yeah. Yeah, oh, next weekend. I meant to say that. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well worth a trip. And it's just just down the road from me, so you can... Stop off at Gentiana Nursery on the way up. Well, come and spend any change you've got left. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Meryl, are you going to be at the Fernie Creek Show next weekend? Yes, I'll have a big collection of seeds there for, for people. And again, lots of really unusual things, mm. and, but things for difficult situations. And as I say, there's time to talk to people yeah. about how to raise seed or people who are beginners to ask advice, what should I start with? And yeah. It's it's a beautiful time up at Fernie Creek. I mm. love it. Yeah, Th- those smaller sort of gardening shows where you can talk to all these well, specialist growers, mm. and yes. get some real um, specific hints and tips for particular trouble spots that people might have in gardens. Like mm-hmm. that—that's the—that's the way to find out what to do. Yes. Yeah. And and people are really friendly, so you you yeah. just talk to other gardeners. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, the seeds I got from you at the Yarra Valley Plant Fair last year at uh, in in Quail Road, I put them in. I got the cut flower mix. 
Yes. And I put them in and I planted some of them uh, yesterday. They've been sitting Um, in pots for a little while and they're pretty resilient because I let those pots dry out a lot and (laughs) it's been very dry at the moment and they're still going. So, well, that's, um, ex- that's just great success. Yeah, I'm excited <laughs> to watch them grow. I'm shocking growing things from seeds. I rarely do it because I'm 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 too lazy to grow things from seed. <laughs> but I couldn't not buy something from that cut flower mix, and I got another salvia species too. But I haven't put those in yet from you, Meryl. Oh. So they work. <laughs> yeah. They do work. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's not such a bad practice to leave them in the pots for a long time. I think mm. seedlings. Yeah, it, do, it certainly doesn't doesn't seem to hurt, That's except those things that grow deep taproots. Not yeah. a good idea for poppies yeah. because mm. they quickly develop a deep um, taproot. Mm. There's some things like those poppies um, that I don't sow in punnets. I actually sow a little pinch into a much deeper, you know, little pot, but deep mm. is is the thing, just one little pinch in each. And then you don't have to prick them out. When they're big enough, you just pop the whole thing into the garden hole as well as straight mm. out of the pot that you've germinated the seed uh, in. Mm. And then you don't have those transplant problems. But most most things don't have that. That's particular to poppies and just a few other things that quickly develop deep taproots. But that's a good quality in a plant. Because it's going to hang in there and go yeah. foraging as quickly as possible. I put some dahlia seed down this year. Boy, that came up quickly. Uh-huh. <laughs> almost overnight. Yeah, that's right. I love the ones that come up almost overnight. It's that's so right. exciting. Yeah. <laughs> that is really quick germination. Dahlia? Yeah. Oh, so fast. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That now that's instant gratification mm. for you. That is, that's what seed is about. Often is yeah. the instant gratification, and you can get so many plants to mm. to share with other people, which mm. is another good yeah. aspect of it. But when, when you look at a genus and you see a whole vast array of them, like camellia, for example, then you know that they're easy from seed. Correct. Yes, that's how we got so many different ones. That's right. That's what I thought about the dahlia. I thought there's so many dahlias out there. These have got to be easy. And boy, they were. (laughs) What a good tip. Yeah. Another, you were talking about the mix that you got, Chloe. We we hand make um, mixes Mm. for different purposes. And so you got the cut flower mix. But uh, one that we're having a lot of success with at the moment, people are really enjoying is edible flowers mix things. There's so many plants that actually have flowers that you can eat, not only safely, but with pleasure. They have Mm. delicious taste, all sorts of spicy flavours or peppery flavours or or sweet flavours. And they're often very pretty plants as Mm. well, but a surprising range of them. So we're going more and more into our edible flowers mix and including more and more varieties so in the mix that I'm making at the moment I've got over 20 different varieties of edible flowers and I've sort of been an enthusiast for this for a while because I was lucky enough once to um, go to a restaurant on Vancouver Island in Canada and there they their whole cuisine consisted of what they could harvest out of the garden that day Mm. And part of the experience of going to the restaurant 
was before you dined, you actually went for a walk with the chef in the garden and the chef picked all the things that he was going to put into the, the food that you were going to have that evening. It was just amazing. Mm. And that's really where I began to learn how many delicious things there are to eat in the flower garden. But they're all easy germinating things, as, as you said, Chloe. So you can just scatter them directly into a corner of your veggie patch. And you've got a really pretty corner of the patch or indeed just a, a tub or a pot. Mm. Um, but you can graze on it as well. And it's beautiful for the kids to be able to do that, but only under the supervision of adults, of, of course. course. So they don't chop on things they mm. shouldn't chop Mer- on. Meryl, what are, some of the, what are some of the flowers that are in that edible flower mix? Um, well, really obvious ones, um, pansies and violas, of yeah. course, mm. are, are uh, commonly edible. There's all sorts of chrysanthemums. There's begonias, Craig. There's, mm-hmm. there's edible begonia flowers. I, I um, had someone in the nursery the other day wanting to eat my begonia flowers. <laughs> <laughs> They're really sweet and delicious. Apparently you'll, you'll so. Have, you'll have to put little fences up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so there's a huge amount of, of um, edible flowers. But what about linaria? Linaria? I don't. I haven't included any linaria yet. I'll have to go and research that one, Craig, because you have to be, you know, utterly certain that, absolutely. that what, <laughs> what you're putting in an edible flower mix is absolutely right. You yeah. can't have people... Um, you know, eating something that they shouldn't eat. But there's the obvious ones too, like nasturtiums. I, mm. I love nasturtiums. Um, calendulas are, are really delicious as well. But nasturtiums are one of my favourites because you can eat the flowers and the leaves, so you're getting great value. Yeah. They're really tasty in salads. But um, it's not only fresh in salads or as garnish. You can put them in drinks. You can... Um, uh, use them as as uh, fritters and, and in batter, um, quick flash fried in hot olive oil, absolutely delicious. Oh, one of the mm. taste sensations for me is sage leaves done that way, oh. dropped into mm-hmm. hot olive oil. Oh, love it. <laughs> I'm getting hungry and I haven't had breakfast yet, so mm-hmm. I think we need to move on, Meryl. <laughs> We've got another caller coming, uh, waiting on the line anyway. So I will say hello to Sharon in Cheltenham and thank you for your patience. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Um, my question is uh, about growing passion fruit from the seed of a fruit. Is it possible? Is it from a fruit that you've grown or a fruit from a supermarket? Well, I, I found last week and I was saying how my son had grown it uh, and I've had the same experience of growing one that's grafted and the um, Miss, Miss Strange rootstock took over and mm. I didn't, yeah. So we, I've told him to pull it out and to grow just a straight um, seeded one. And then my sister's got this fantastic passion fruit vine and I thought, oh, so we're trying an experiment of growing from seed. But she said she looked it up on the internet and there are about four different ways. So we're not sure which is the right way. Where I come from in the far north of New Zealand, the passion fruit used to self-seed through our garden. 
Yeah. And yeah. they were always delicious. So I don't think the yeah. gra- I think the grafted thing's a bit of a furphy, no, really. The, the graft, like never buy a grafted yeah. passion fruit. Um, no. And I, that, that would tell me that they're really not difficult. Yeah, well, we were, we were which we often do now. One thing I've learned with gardening is look what would happen in nature, mm. naturally. And I thought, well, I probably would just drop, drop to the ground and rot and mm. then yeah. grow. So she's trying one rotting. Yes. She's put one straight in a pot, and I think she's fermenting from it. She's got three different ways, anyway. Yeah. Look, I would just sow them when they're ripe. Yeah. Which, obviously, if you're eating them, they're ripe. Mm. When I when I worked at the zoo, we used to grow the, uh, the indigenous passion fruit, Passiflora cinnabarina, Oh. And we tried a few different ways. We we rotted. We left a couple of fruits to rot. Um, we tried sort of fermenting them in something. But the passiflora is borderline weedy, and it came up without us having to do any seed treatment to it at all. But what I would suggest with the seeds that you've got is doing those three different treatments and mm. see which what germination rate is the best for you. Yeah. I'd dry them out a little bit. Yeah. Take, take the pulp that- out and spread it over a bit of paper. And yes. let them dry out for a few days and then sow them. Yes, I yeah. think so too. Mm. And, and wash them, you know, mm. after you've spread them on, yes. on the paper and let them dry out for a little yeah. while. So you get put the pulp them, off them, Meryl. Get the pulp off. Yes, yep. yes. Put, put them in a sieve and just run clean water through them to, mm. to get the pulp off. And I think, hey, presto. Yeah, I mm. think so too. Nice fruit food. It's going to germinate like mad. Mm. Mm. Well, it will be interesting. Thank you. All the best, Sharon. <laughs> They're so delicious much. at this time of the year. They are very I mean, delicious. I start eating them and I just can't stop. <laughs> just one after the other. <laughs> I must remind listeners that we are running through till 9.15 and you are tuned into the 3CR Gardening Show. I have Craig Wilson and Meryl Johnson in with me this morning. If you have any questions, some last-minute questions, because we are time is running out, uh, the number is 94190155. Our text message line is 0488809855. Now, February for 3CR is subscriber month. So this is the way this is the way that you can join up to become a member of 3CR and find become a financial supporter of the station, which means that we get to stay on air. The people that work here on the smell of an oily rag oily rag um, earn something uh, but we have a bit of a special um, carrot dangling for our gardening show listeners so there's if you subscribe and you can do that by going on to the 3CR website um, 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or you can call the station on those numbers uh, that that I just read out so 94198377 if you want to call that during the week and talk to someone in the office about signing up and subscribing that way. We've got two uh, prize packs for our gardening show listeners. So signing up, I think, is depending on if you're full-time or wage, it's about $50 to $100 depending on what category you fall under. And the prize packs are pretty substantial. So there's a few sea soul products, a 2022 gardening calendar, pyrethrum insect spray, Power feed for plants, power feed for lawns, and sea salt gardener soap. Now that's prize pack one. If you subscribe and tell us and, and tell the subscribers that you are a gardening show listener, 
you go into the draw to win that prize pack. The second prize pack is full of other garden goodies too. Sea uh, cell seaweed solution, a power feed fertilizer and soil conditioner. Sea uh, soil earth care organic weed killer and another packet or another bottle of power feed plant food for indoor and outdoor plants. So that those two prize packs are available for um, two gardening show listeners who subscribe to 3CR and support the show and, and help keep us on air and help keep the station running too because the station uh, provides a voice to a lot of people in the community that maybe don't have a voice and there's a very, very diverse range of shows on here uh, and we're all very lucky to come in here even though it's on a Sunday morning and I'd rather be in bed. Um, we're very lucky to come in here and chat about plants and, and gardening and, and help people out. So please subscribe if you can spare it. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. Um, the way to do that is to call the, call the station during the week, 94198377, or to subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Now, Craig, we've had some fan mail come in for you. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> it's a text message from Marie in Newport, which we haven't talked about this yet because I missed the Gardening Australia Marie show on lots of Friday. Okay. Through the post. Gardening Australia on Friday night, Craig. You oh, kept yeah, that long on acres. the down low. Yeah. You were on the show. I was. It was fabulous. Thank I you. was cheering, Craig. Meryl, yeah. how did you not bring this up already? Craig, what were you doing on what were uh, you doing Long on Acre? That? They did a, a, a segment on Long Acres, which was the Arthur Street and Garden that I maintain ah. and have been for twenty years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Marie said it was great to see you on the show and put a face to the gardening show voice. Mm-hmm. So congratulations. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we is, is Long Acres open to the public? No, for it's a private no, garden. I, yeah. I thought as much. Yeah. Yes. What a stunning place, Craig. It's a beautiful garden. It hasn't always been. Um, Julie's husband, Roger, did an enormous amount of work cleaning it up. Um, and since then, since he, he, he passed away about five years ago, and I've um, been looking after it and replanting big sections of it. Yeah. But what a treasure to keep for Australia. Great work, Craig. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And it, it, like I say to people, if it was Donald Bradman's garden, it would be hallowed ground. Mm. Yes. But because well, it's it, an artist, it's sort of, you know, there's a, a number of people know about it, but I think not enough. Yes. And I think it's a garden whose time hasn't come yet. Yes. Yeah. Well, stunning place. It's beautiful. Beautiful old trees as well as all the interesting underplanting that yeah. you're obviously putting in. Yeah, mm. yeah, we've put a, lot of, put a lot of plants into it. I'd, I'd really want to diversify it a bit from just rhododendrons and azaleas and camellias. Yes. So, we, yeah, lots of hydrangeas and viburnums. And, oh, and, delicious. <laughs> os, osmanthus on the boundaries. and yeah. I have no yeah. doubt that you would be able to add biodiversity to that yeah, garden that's with certainly the plants happening. that you know. Yeah. yeah, the only issue is deer, of course, but... Ah, we've, right. we've discussed that at length in the past. <laughs> what are some other plants that you've got, Craig? Oh, look, it's, it's autumn, so the cyclamen are in full swing. Mm. Ah, yes, ours are too. I have four species flowering in the garden at the moment. 
So it's it's the tail end of Cyclamen purpurescens. Oh, that is so tiny and Which delicate. is the summer flowering species. And then I have um, Cyclamen africanum. Yes. Which is the big leaf. People could often mistake it for hedrofolium, but the leaves are much bigger and fleshier. Mm. Yes. And then I have Cyclamen graecum, just coming yes. into flower now, which is the leaf patterning is just superb. I've, I, I've got um, pure silver Cyclamen cum. Yeah, they're uh, coming up the now. Leaves, yes, yeah. and the leaves are just pure silver. Yeah. Oh, it's just gorgeous. And, and so many of the cyclamen are beautifully scented, Craig. That's right. People don't realise mm. these little species ones, the, the wonderful scent that they pervade through the garden. Yeah, you have to get down those, on your knees and get your nose into them, though. <laughs> it's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, but to have flowers like that at this time of the year when it's so dry, I went and congratulated mine the other day and mm-hmm. said, you little beauties. <laughs> The, the, the hedrofoliums, really, though, the first flowers start in January. Yes. And they're in full swing now, but there's a couple yes. of different forms of hedrofolium around. I and prefer it, the species forms of cyclamen so much to those big in-your-face cultivars that you yeah, get. the persicum hybrids. The persicum, yeah. Yeah, but, the, you know, the, the species persicum is sublime. Right. It, it's a beautiful plant. And the most beautiful perfume. Yes, yeah. yeah. They're so underrated, aren't they? they yeah, and, and then they do these dreadful things to them. Mm. And they're so easy. I mean, literally, you don't do anything to them. They just do it themselves. Yep, they're, they're, the hedrofolium, well, I had them in my garden in the city without any difficulty. Mm. Yeah. They're just slow. Yes. Yeah. But that's okay. You can get lots of them. And yeah. That's, that makes up for slow. Slow's good. <laughs> yeah, slow Anything good. that's slow growing gets a gong from me. <laughs> yeah. If it's fast <laughs> growing, it's too, too problematic. much work. Yeah, they're problematic for yeah. sure. Yeah. But when, when you're when you, people, I mean, people look at them around my nursery and, and think, oh, but you've got so many of them. But, you know, they take about four or five years to flower from seed. So it's a long, slow job building up big numbers. Mm. But they do germinate quite readily. Oh, yeah, very readily. If you do a a sowing, you know, sow a number, you know in a year's time you're really going to have a beautiful stand of them. So well worth going into. If you want to, to grow them from seed, the best way to do it is to grow them in a pot and just put it at the pot in under a tree and... And let them do it. Forget about it. Mm. And they'll come up as soon as they get the autumn rain. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And then prick them out and plant them in the garden. Mm. Well, just scatter them because, you know, nature has its way with them. Mm. That's the way they do it themselves. I had half an acre of them at Long Acres. How wonderful. But the deer eat them. (laughs) The deer eat them. They do. So that's the end of them. Oh, dear. Yes. <laughs> dear, dear. <laughs> All right, I had... hate you with a passion. Oh, mm-hmm. they're a pain in the neck. All right, we've had a couple of people um, phone in and leave messages that, that we've had put through to the screen. So Bernadette from Mentone has tomatoes in her hothouse, which is enclosed. They're growing well and they are flowering, but there is no fruit. 
They're not being pollinated. Ah, they're not getting pollinated. Open the doors up to Mm -hmm. your hothouse, Bernadette, and let the bees and the other insects in. Or you could get a paintbrush out and pollinate the flowers yourself. Or those little cotton bud things, yeah. Yep, yep. Yep, play play bee. Mm. Yeah, yeah, play the bee, birds and the bees. All right, Uh, Carol from Emerald has African feather grass growing around a dam which has frogs and other wildlife. How can she get rid of it without chemicals? Shovel? Growing around the dam? African feather grass? It's a penicetum, is it? I think so. Okay. Oh, gosh, pull it out. Yeah, Mm. I think it might be a manual removal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the only way I can think of. You know, I have a little penicetum at home, penicetum oriental. Do you grow that, Meryl? No, I don't. Never had a seedling from it. Okay, so it's, it's not a self-seeding It's one. lovely, and it, it goes down in the winter, so mm-hmm. it's herbaceous. Um, it starts flowering in spring, and it's still going strong. It's a beautiful little grass. It resents being divided. Okay. Oh. So, 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 so I... Before, I Sorry, Meryl. For our gardener, um, the only other way I can think of is maybe get one of those little blowtorch weeders and have a crack at it with yeah. that. Yeah, mm. you could try burning it. physically digging it out. Yeah. Well, if you're going to do that, I'd, I'd be cutting it to the ground and then blowtorching the stems. And then blowtorching yeah. it. Yep, yeah. I agree with It Ray. sounds mm. like they don't like disturbed soil as well, so you might want to dig them out but mm. then make sure – you immediately plant it with some other plants around and, and there. Cut the seed head, cut the seed heads off them immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Do that today. Yeah, do that today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's your first step before yeah. you even dig the plant out mm-hmm. is remove those seed heads. Yeah. Yep. There's probably some some sort of seed bank in the soil too, so a um, bit of vigilance and patience over the coming years. Mm. Uh, and good luck. No, Meryl, I have a crane's bill flowering in my garden at the moment. This is phyllostem and Oh, I love Silas Demon. Do you and grow it's it? so tough and hardy. And so beautiful, such a colour. Isn't it? It's, it's extraordinary. There's nothing else like it with those little black eyes yeah. flashing at you. It's it's a sultry beauty, I always think. So it's quite a big crane's bill. It would get up to, we'd be pretty close to a metre, wouldn't it? Yes, and it makes, it's sort of mound forming. It's mm. very thick, it mounds on itself and turns into a perfect pudding shape, just covered in those vivid magenta flowers with, with a black centre, that's right. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a beauty. And, um, and it's quite dry hardy. It's, its native habitat is sort of Middle East areas. Okay, so I didn't it, know that, yeah. It's quite, um, quite dry hardy. It can put up with a, a fair bit of uh, dry period before mm. it starts subjecting. And I don't know if other people have had, but I've had um, Clivia minata flowering, which is really oh. weird. Yes. This is, I, I get mine from Peter Huesler in, in just down the road from me who breeds the most phenomenal array of Clivia. That flower colour you have right there is special. Yeah, it's, he calls Why? this the bronze. Oh, yeah, that is stunning. Yeah. Can you and, see and it? his work is great because he is breeding... A whole new range of things. Yeah, he's, he's really fastidious, which is what you oh. need to be. Yes, yes. 
and and persistent. He doesn't yeah. give up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And 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 I've been getting a lot of the um, interspecifics from him, which are the the um, Sertanthiflora, is it? Yes, it's forms sort of more with the little hook flowers. Oh, so a clivia that has that droops over. Yeah, a bit that's more. right. And and he's been breeding them in reds and greens and yellows, all sorts of different colours. Wow. And they're very graceful. Beautiful. I, think, I, I I kind of like them better, I think, because they're not they're not so in your face but, with the big open mm, flowers, but that's they're right. so graceful and with the lovely colours that are developing. Yeah. They're they're a fabulous thing for planting in those Shaded areas we were talking about so earlier. Absolutely, and if you, if you put them in the shade with uh, the, the the brachyglottis, yes, fantastic wow. combination. <laughs> yeah, with with the silver foliage yeah. and the dark green, and then the orange flowers. Where it's could you get? Where can you get these hybrids? You need to find out where Pete. He does the plant fairs. Okay. Yeah, yes. it's the only place you'll get them. Does he yes. have a website that we could spruik? Mm, don't think so. Okay. Yeah. And what's his name, though? Peter Husler. Peter Husler. He's a very, very good breeder. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he is. Um, and, and his things are highly desired, I can tell you. At yeah. the plant fairs, it's a stampede, you know, <laughs> who can get there first to get the most precious one. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, I've got a garden full of them now. So he could, well, <laughs> he could be at the Fernie Creek Hort Show next week, but there is also the Autumn Plant Fair mm. that um, Larkman's is hosting. So they hosted the Spring Plant Fair last year and they've got an Autumn one coming up in April as we, well. Yeah, We were going to do a, a sale day or sale weekend at, at my nursery with mm. him, but COVID sort of put the spanner in that. But yeah. that will happen. All right. Yeah. Oh, that would be brilliant, Craig. Um, and then he will sell. He sells a lot of seedlings, but if he tells you that a seedling is a particular colour, then it will be. Yes. That's yes. that's one thing I can say about mm. him. He won't sell you a seedling unless he's sure that it's going to throw <laughs> a particular colour. Mm. And yeah. so the the range of seedlings that he offers is quite small. But he knows that those colours come true. He's he's done his homework. He's, he's done, done his, his homework work properly to Absolutely. make sure that they're they're pollinated as as he wanted them yeah. to be. No, no naughty bees have been having their wicked ways. <laughs> no, he's very fastidious. Yeah. All right, uh, we have one more listener that has called in. Uh, probably our last one for the morning. Good morning, Lois in Mitcham. Oh, good morning, Chloe. How are you? I'm and, very uh, well. How are you? Oh, not too bad. And lovely to uh, listen to you both, plus um, our lovely person from the down the country perennial. Yeah, Meryl. we love having Meryl on. Uh-huh. At any rate, I have a question for Craig, saying you're running short of time and I'm naughty. late. <laughs> <laughs> but, Craig, you, you talked about the water recycling earlier for hydrangeas and how most of yours have gone pink. Mm -hmm. Now, we seem to have had the same colour with our hydrangeas um, colour problem because I've got the lacy ones. I've got quite a few different types of hydrangeas and um, they seem to have changed colour, you know, quite a lot Mm -hmm. to being pink rather than any 
little bits of glue. And also I did grow a cutting from what was supposed to be a complete white hydrangea. And it, uh, instead of coming up white, came up, came to pink. But I have heard that white hydrangeas, very seldom, are true to white. That's true. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. They generally have a slight flush of, of pink or, or mauve. Yes, right. So with the uh, fact that they're going pink, what is the main cause of that in the recycled water? It's something in your dishwashing or, or in your washing powder that's alkaline. Oh, right. Most dishwashing liquids and washing powders are alkaline mm. to help dispel right. the grease that's yeah. on there, I think. I see. Well, yes, well, we do try and bucket our water from the uh, rinsing water. Mm. I must admit on the garden, but we didn't, I didn't think of um, that part of it. But also, you, you know what? I just accept them whatever colour they are. Yeah, They're all beautiful. Absolutely. Yes. I no, never try to change them. No, well, when we moved to Mitcham, we had lovely purple and deep pink with blue through it and all that and um, now um, and we thought that the older people who had been there and we're old now, we're both in our 80s um, and he used to put iron nails in, or nails in mm-hmm. so the iron apparently must have helped or anything in that nature to make them blue is that also correct or not? Yes. Yep. It is, mm. um, and we um, we were up at yours um, not that terribly long ago, Craig, and mm. we bought a um, one that you said was a small hydrangea. Mm-hmm. Does that need any particular? Uh, and it also you told us was pink, but mm. it was a small variety. Um, what? Does it need in particular? Just just the same as is any of the uh, macrophylla hybrids. Right. Yeah, no, no special treatment. No. And, mm-hmm. and your cane begonias, mm-hmm. uh, that's another thing we bought. I don't know how many we ended up with. I think we got about seven pots of cane ones that someone was more or less throwing out. Mm-hmm. Might have been down... Um, Bentley Way or Oakley mm. um, for one of the um, begonia type shows. Um, if we bought any of the different leaves up to you, would you be able to identify them? Um, I'll have a bash. I can't yeah. guarantee that. No, but with, with the cane ones we found, we, we had them all in a bundle in one particular spot. Mm. I don't think they had enough life. Mm-hmm. Since we've moved them over the past year, we're getting a lot more different, you know, the flowering and they look reasonably healthy. Mm. And if you have them in a pot, what is the best soil to put them in? In pots, just good quality potting mix and liquid yes. feed them. Yes, and if you wanted to plant them in a garden bed, the soil at Mitcham even though we do put a lot of leaf and stuff around, is pretty, uh, not, doesn't seem to have much oomph in it. I don't um, think they're fussed about soil. No. 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 All right. Well, that sounds very good. And, 
Craig, we did enjoy seeing you on Long Acres. Oh, thank you. That was really beautiful. Thank and, you. And we didn't recognise you. You looked so nice. <laughs> He's very dapper. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. He certainly was. Um, now, I think that was the main things I wanted to say. All right, to Lois, we need to close up the show, so you'll have to pop up to Gentiana Nursery to see Craig again soon. Yes, no, we, we hope to get up to Fernie Creek anyway. All Good. right, anyway, all the best. Darling, Thanks, and Lois. Same to you. Bye. 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 All right, just to finish off, we've had a message come through uh, for the Encouraging Women in Horticulture. Their next event is a tour of Jack Semler's um, Autumn Perennial Garden on Sunday the 20th of March at 10am in Frankston. Uh, Bookings for that, you can email events at ewha.com.au. And we did have a caller, Gloria, that we didn't get through. So if you want to hold on the line, um, one of us might be able to have a chat to you after the show finishes or call back next week. Um, We've come to the end of the show today. It went so quickly. It it always goes so quickly. Thank you both for coming in. Um, I love it when the three of us are on. Have some good chats. So thank you very much. Just quickly... Meryl, you're mushroom composting the garden today. Is that what you're up to? Yes, mushroom composting, organic lifing Good. and old wood chip mulching. Good. Craig, and when? what are the nursery opening hours? 10 to 5, closed on Tuesday. There we go. So you can go up and see Craig at Gentiana Nursery in Alinda mm-hmm. today if you want. He'll be getting home soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we'll be back again next Sunday at 730 Uh, So have a lovely week and enjoy your Sunday, everyone. See you later.